We're going to turn again to Romans chapter 13, where I shared some thoughts from just a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to read those verses again, verses 11 and 12, and verse 14 as well, 11, 12, and 14. Romans 13. Beside this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you will remember that I shared from these verses reminding us of the urgency of the hour or the urgency of the day in which we are living in and the need for us to be ready for when the Lord Jesus uh, will come again to rapture or to take up the church from this earth to be found in his eternal presence in the place that he is preparing for those who have put their faith and trust in him. And let's be sure, as I reminded us two weeks ago, as I will again this morning, that Jesus is coming again. And I'm not going to go through all of the facts that I shared uh, two weeks ago. There was sufficient there to remind us, to warn us, that Jesus is coming again. And I'm just going to read some verses which I mentioned last time but didn't read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 to 11. These are words that the Apostle Paul wrote down for us. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have died in Christ, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, the dead in Christ. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We will not precede those who have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And as the present pastor of Emmanuel Pentecostal Church, I want the congregation, I want the sheep that are under my care to be informed. 
I want you to be reminded of the things which are yet to take place. And especially concerning that moment when Jesus will come again. And as Paul said, so I too want that we would be encouraged with what the scripture has to say. And to be sure, for when that day comes, that we will be ready. It's my duty. It's one of my responsibilities. And it's a sad thing that there are many churches today that they don't give any warning in their preaching. They don't even give a word of challenge in their preaching. And that's part and parcel of what preaching is all about. It's bringing warning, it's bringing encouragement, but it's also bringing a challenge. And I want us to make sure that every single one of us will be ready for that moment when Jesus comes again. This morning when I woke, I just happened to glance at my phone and it just has at the very bottom, it's a dark black screen at the bottom, it just gives me... Uh, any notifications that have come through. And I noticed that I had a notification and the um, phone number, the code for the phone number was Australia. So immediately I was alarmed because we, you know, some of you know from the prayer meeting, we have a friend in Australia who's been diagnosed with a cancer that is terminal. And so I saw the code OSICA plus 61 and I thought it was bad news. So I immediately got my phone and opened it up and I couldn't believe it. And the phone was a message. It was from Australia. But it was a message to remind Elaine and myself that we were booked in on the 27th of August 2022 to go on the whale watching trip and to ensure that we were down on the docks on time to get onto the boat to go on the trip. It's a bit late. <laughs> the event has happened. But thank God we were there on the 27th of August last year. And we did get on the trip. And I don't want you to be getting a reminder after the Lord has come that he was going to come again. And it's too late. You've missed it. Because the event has already happened. Now when I prepared the thoughts that I shared two weeks ago, I had continued in my prepping uh, with... Uh, what I wanted to continue in my second look at the subject and I'm going to headline it this way don't be and there's a list of words rather be with another list of words and this is what it is don't be in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again and I believe that the second coming of Jesus is very near I believe that the signs around us are pointing to the fact that there is not much time left on this earth to be sharing the gospel and to be making sure that we are ready for when those clouds part and Jesus comes to call us to be with himself. So the don't be is this, in the day and age in which we're living in, don't be foolish. Don't be faithless. Don't be flirtatious. Don't be facetious or flippant. Don't be fatalistic. Instead, be faithful. Be fervent. And be fruitful. And I'm only going to look at the don't be's this morning because 
the, the, the rather be really comes up in what I want to sum up with each don't be. So firstly, in the light of the truth that Jesus is coming again, don't be foolish. There are two ways of being foolish in Scripture. The first is found in Psalm 14.1, which says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. It goes on to say that those fools who say that there is no God, it says they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And there's no doubt in the age in which we're living in that this world is fast filling up with fools. As mankind is turning its back upon God. Mankind is turning its back upon his word. And mankind is rejecting the existence of God and considering the notion of the existence of God as a man-made concoction to use as a crutch or what other idea we may give for the message that we have. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I've mentioned before, uh, quite recently as well, that if you use social media, in particular if you use Twitter, and I use Twitter, when you go on Twitter and if someone tweets anything concerning the Christian faith, or speaks up against the things that are going on in this world which are anti-God and anti-the morality of the God of words, and the Christian faith, it's amazing how quick the Twitter feeds fill up with the hatred that comes from those who deny the very existence of God. And as I read the responses that they give to Christian thought, Christian morality, and everything else, I think to myself, if he doesn't exist, why on earth do they get so easily wound up? <coughs> Why on earth do they get so easily wound up? I think that is, it is, because they might deny him and say he doesn't exist. But I believe that there is that deep subconsciousness in every individual that can be awakened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy is at hard at work to suppress it. And so that's why the hatred is coming out. John Lennox, I don't know if you've ever heard of John Lennox, but he's a professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford, or he was, I don't know whether he still is. He's a Christian, he's a brilliant debater, and he's debated many times with Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, and he's written a book, and the book is called Gunning for God. And then the subheading is this, Why the New Atheists Are Missing the Point. I haven't read right through the book. I've read a lot of it, a lot of sections of it. And this is what he says. Atheism is on the march in the Western world, and its enemy is God. The one they don't believe in. 
Atheism is on the march in the Western world and its enemy is God. Religion, the new atheists claim, is dangerous. It kills or poisons everything. And if religion is the problem of the world, their answer is simple. Get rid of it. But they are fools. The scripture says they are fools. Seeking to get rid of Christianity, religion, and in the process, hopefully, get rid of God. Who somehow, they say, doesn't exist. So how can they get rid of someone who doesn't exist as far as they're concerned? They deny God, but denying him doesn't cause him to cease to exist. He'll still be there. He's eternal. And it is a fool that has said in his heart, there is no God. Oh, what a shock they're going to get one day. What a shock the fool is going to get one day. As they breathe their last breath on this earth and they depart from this world into thinking at that moment of their death that this is it, this is the end of it all. And suddenly they find out that they've got to stand before the one who they've refused, who they've said does not exist. And in light of my subject this morning, be warned, Jesus is coming again. Don't be foolish. Don't be fooled by the fools. God is not mocked. Trust in God. Trust in the words of Jesus. Jesus said, believe in God. Believe also in me. For it is only those who have come to a life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are genuinely saved, born again, will be ready for when he comes again. So you can say that God doesn't exist. It doesn't stop him from existing. Don't be foolish. Believe in the one who has created us. Then the second aspect of foolishness is to be found in the words of Jesus himself, not in his words of foolish, you know what I mean, in what he said. Because we know that Jesus taught in many parables. And one of them is found in Matthew 25, 1 to 13, which reads like this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. That's what the word of God says. This is what Jesus said. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Verse 14. 
Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That scripture, that story, is a simple story. And yet it puts humanity into two categories. Those who are wise and are ready. Those who are foolish and not ready. And so when the bridegroom came, they were left out. In another parable that Jesus taught about the man who had plenty and yet decided to build bigger barns to store up more, we find that in that parable, that rich man is described as being the rich fool. It's again in scripture. He was dependent upon self. Instead of realizing that his lifespan was not in his control, but rather it was in the control of the one who had given him life, the Lord God. And so he lived for self. Doing this, he was doing that, he was amassing wealth, he was building bigger barns. Listen, as I read that scripture this week, does it not remind us a little of our self-centered world today? Bigger barns, bigger supermarkets, bigger warehouses, bigger delivery depots, so that we can keep building up upon our own self-reliance with consumerism and materialism. But to the man who built bigger barns, God said, you fool, you fool, this night, your soul is required of you, and things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, in all of his daily grind, in all of his busyness, in all of his amassing wealth and possessions, and the building of bigger and yet bigger barns, this man had left God out. And today, we can get so wrapped up in this world with its self-centeredness, with its greed, which we're seeing on a big scale at this time, after the government has done all it can to keep our nation afloat during the COVID pandem pandemic, we're not grateful for that. We're demanding more all the time. We're expecting to get more all the time. It's greed. It's greed. This world is full of greed. We demand more all the time and almost expect to get it for nothing. The reason being so that we can have bigger barns to fill in with the world's empty treasure. But if we pursue all of this without any thought or any time for God, the day will arrive when he will speak to our hearts and say, Fool, today your soul is required of you. Now listen to me, there is nothing wrong with having possessions. Nothing at all wrong with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with having a big home, not even having wealth, unless, unless of course, it comes at the cost of forfeiting one's soul. Jesus himself clearly taught, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And can I add, with talking of possessions and everything else, 
Can I add this morning, because I believe that the church needs to be warned about these things. Don't be fooled by the nonsense that is being spouted in the prosperity gospel. Don't be fooled by it. It is a gospel of greed that is presented under the falsehood of saying that God promises of health and wealth to us all. But the true biblical concept, context is to be found in the experience of the Apostle Paul, where he said, that, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's contentment that counts. To be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And if God blesses us with wealth, then good. But if he doesn't, it is still good. Don't crave after it. If he blesses us with wealth, then good. But if he doesn't, it is still good. For we should at all times be seeking that which is his good, perfect and acceptable will for us all. And if he blesses us with health, then again good. But if he doesn't, well, it is still good. For he gives us strength for every given situation in which we are found as what is most important. We live in accordance to his well, so let's not be fools. Don't forfeit your soul by filling your life with the empty promises of this world. <coughs> Secondly, don't be faithless. Don't be faithless. There's no water. Never mind. <coughs> In the Gospels we read, Luke 18, 8. <coughs> Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's an important question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? We can be faithless by simply not coming to the place of faith and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Every unbeliever is faithless. Therefore, every unbeliever will be left behind. We can be faithless by refusing to believe in and accept the promises of God. And that is by applying them in the proper way, the biblical way, to our lives. And we can be faithless by becoming lukewarm in our Christianity and in a sense be wrapped up in things that hold no eternal value to the point that we run the risk of being like the foolish virgins in the previous point I have made. They had the invitation to the wedding but they failed to be ready. Thank you. In the list of the seven churches there's a mention in the book of Revelation. Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, You are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And what did he say to them? I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow, what a verdict. 
You are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prepared, and I need nothing. Not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. See, whatever this meant for the church at Laodicea, it was a valuable lesson for the believers today. In light of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand that Jesus cannot tolerate and will not tolerate lukewarmness. He can't stand it. He hates it. And he says to those that are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And there are many lukewarm believers in the church today. And alongside that, there, there are many in churches today who are faithless, even though they think that they are okay with God. Somehow, and in many churches this is the case, that they have never been presented with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if they have, they have ignored its claims to surrender their lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're lying upon good works. They are relying upon their church attendance rather than having a real personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it leads to what Jesus calls the faithless days. And even now as we're gathered here, there will be folk gathered in churches across the United Kingdom who will have gone in week in and week out and sadly, in many of those churches, they will never have heard the gospel presented. They won't even know what it means to be saved. They think that by going to church, everything is okay. The important thing is that we need to commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not be faithless, but have faith and trust in him. In the United States of the America, everyone there carries around with them the coinage and the banknotes of the nation, which have written or inscribed on them these words, in God we trust. Yet, in reality, of all those, I don't know how many millions there are in America, out of all of those that would carry those coins around in their pockets, the reality is this, there is only a small percentage who do actually trust in God. The others don't trust in him. And there are many here in the United Kingdom who say they believe in God. But they do not trust in him. They do not trust in him. They are faithless through lack of obedience to the call of the gospel. So please don't be faithless. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him so that your life is lived for his glory. Thirdly, don't be flirtatious. I realise that time is really going on. Don't be flirtatious. This is a subject which is going to be coming up in the devotions that I'm going to be sending, continue to send as we go through John's gospel, uh, John's epistle, but I'm going to quote from both John and Jude, 
in John we read this do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him well that's serious isn't it do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him James chapter 4 verse 4 we read you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God it's serious stuff isn't it it really is see as believers we have been called out of the darkness into the light we have been called to be separate from the world that is not to partake of the evil deeds the sinful pleasures of darkness we are called to a life of holiness which means being faithful to God who himself is a holy God and we should not desire to be flirtatious with the world or to be linked with anything that is against God or sets itself up against God we have been called to be light we have been called to be salt and we can only be such by remaining and abiding in Christ and in a place of righteousness or of godly living I've told you before that I grew up under an extremely strict regime and it was as children we weren't allowed to go anywhere uh, if it wasn't to do with church or anything like that we weren't allowed to do anything even on a Sunday we weren't allowed to do anything except for read a book nothing else whatsoever go to church read a book and it had to be a decent book we weren't allowed to go to a cinema we weren't allowed to go to sports venues. We weren't allowed to go to discos or dances. We weren't allowed to go to the theatre. We weren't allowed. There were so many restrictions that were placed upon us. Didn't do many harm at all. But as I grew older, I began to realise that some of those restrictions were just legalism. They weren't really beneficial to me as a person. Some of them so occasionally since I've gone to a cinema I've gone to a theatre I've gone to a sports venue but there are still places that I will not allow my feet to darken because I don't want to flirt with the world and the things that I would consider as being unholy it's a waste of time me going to the cinema and the theatre because I almost fall asleep <laughs> I want to add very clearly today that if we prefer to be actively involved in or going to or participating with what we would call the pleasures of the world over our being found regularly in the house of God in fellowship with believers then we're putting our souls at risk we're putting our souls at risk 
See, being flirtatious with the world is opening or exposing our hearts, our lives and our minds to the very wiles of the devil who would love to distract us from the things of God and could, if we were not careful, be soul-destroying and found unready when Jesus comes again. And I sincerely believe these things that I'm sharing are serious. They should call us to examine our lives in light of the soon-to-be arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we should be making every effort to ensure that we are ready and will not be caught out. We cannot be lovers of pleasure and at the same time claim to love God because we cannot serve two masters. We have to decide that we are all for Jesus or not at all. All for Jesus or not at all. Have I got time to finish? Yeah. The fourth, and I can never say this word properly, don't be facetious. I can never say it properly. Or flippant. That's an easy way of putting it, isn't it? That means... Don't treat the truths of word of God and the promise of the second coming of Jesus in a flippant manner. There's too many treat the word of God in a flippant manner today. Don't treat the truths, the promise of the coming in a flippant manner. Remember what they said in Peter's day? Where is the promise of his coming? They were being flippant. They were mocking the promise that Jesus would come again. They were being sarcastic. We need to be sure that we don't adopt the same sarcasm, the same flippant attitude, and don't treat the second coming seriously. And we can do this by acting or behaving and responding to the promise of his coming again as if we've got all the time in the world. See, to be flippant means to treat serious issues with deliberate disregard, to neglect the seriousness of the matter, even to treat it with inappropriate humour. And the scripture says in Galatians 6 verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so we need to take on board the promise of Jesus that he said he would come again, and we need to treat it seriously. For the outcomes concerning how we respond are serious. Be ready, then be eternally saved. Not ready, then you're going to be eternally damned. It's as clear as that. Which leads to the final point. Don't be fatalistic. Don't be fatalistic. By this I mean, don't respond to the claims concerning Jesus coming again by responding this way. Well, whatever will be, will be. Or, it'll all work out in the end. And that's the attitude of so many people today. They're fatalistic. It's like as if I was to just chuck a load of potatoes and carrots and something else in the garden and just think, well, whatever it'll be. And six months later, I hope there's going to be a crop of potatoes, crop of carrots and crop of whatever else. Not at all. I can't be flippant about it. I had to work at it. You have to do something to make sure. 
And we need to work at this. And we need to make sure. Let, us, let me be clear. That although salvation is for the whosoever. Not all will be saved. That's an important notice. That although salvation is for the whosoever not all will be saved it will not all just work out in the end it will only work out positively if we have come to the saving faith in the lord jesus christ and despite the rise in so many christians and churches today that are promoting what is called universalism that is that well all will be saved in the end that is utter nonsense because the bible does not teach that the Bible teaches that some will go to heaven and others will be eternally damned. Jesus taught, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the white way is easy. That leads to destruction. Jesus is talking, there is a way to destruction. But then he says, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it a few. And he also taught that he was the way, he was the truth, and he was the life. And then he added on to that. And no one comes to the Father except through me. See, all religions do not lead to eternal salvation. This is being taught so much today. All religions will eventually lead to salvation. All religions do not lead to salvation. There is only one way and those who arrive there will only be those who have trusted and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is they and they alone who are saved and it is they and they alone who will be ready when Jesus comes again. So this morning, don't leave your eternal destiny to chance. Don't be fatalistic. For I can tell you now, where you will end with an attitude like that. It's in the same place as the devil, in the lake of fire, forever cast away from the presence of God. Let me read those verses again from Romans. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. The church needs to wake today. The church needs to wake today. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off. Get rid of the works of darkness. And put on the armour of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no, no, that's absolutely no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So don't be all of those things. Instead, let's be faithful. Let's be fervent. Let's be fruitful. And let's stand firm when others are turning from the word of God and the things of God and the truth of God's word. Let's stand firm knowing that when he comes again, we will be ready. Amen.